This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Hello and welcome into episode 237 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Prue here with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is off at, weirdly enough, one of my friend's weddings. Um, his girlfriend was in the, the bridal party. And so Brian's having a great time out at the wedding. And we just came back from the Bruins Maple Leafs game. And Scott, I will throw it to you first for your opening shift after the Bruins won in the shootout. Yeah, well, my opening shift was about Mason Lorai. Uh, made his NHL debut and was really good. And Jim Montgomery, after the game, said he was dynamite. Um, had I thought he had a couple moments early on where he looked a little bit shaky. And, you know, a couple tough breakouts. Maybe wasn't quite up to speed. And then as he settled in, just looked really smooth, really confident. Was involved offensively. Picked up his first NHL point with an assist on uh, Pavel Zaka's you know, first goal of the game, um, kind of doing what he, what he does so well, which is sort of just walk the blue line. And then in this case, he makes a pass over to Carlo and Carlo ends up setting up Zaka, but we've seen him walk the line and, you know, take a shot as well. So, um, yeah, just really encouraging and kind of makes you think, you know, even with one NHL regular season game that, the Bruins might have another difference maker here. Um, another guy who, you know, a young player who could potentially step into a big role and, and be a real asset, you know, might be, might be a little early for that, but boy, did he look really good. Yeah. And, and think about it. He might have to stick around because Grizzly went to long-term IR. So one of these guys is going to stick around. Um, and each guy has to make a case for themselves, and we'll get more into that later. My opening shift is Jake DeBrusque getting his first goal of the season, and you kind of feel like once he gets going, things might just start to get in line a little bit. He had a good game in general, not just the goal and the shootout goal. He also just played really strong throughout the whole night before the goal and, and after. I liked the way that that line had chemistry I feel like today that was probably their best line. Um, we can talk about that later, but um, I thought DeBrusque, you know, it's 10 games into the season. It's a little late you'd think for him to be getting that first goal, but now that he's got it, um, maybe he just keeps going strong from there. Yeah. I'd mentioned, you know, when we were talking about it, him struggling, not scoring yet this season, you know, I think that was a podcast or two ago. Um I mentioned how he hadn't been shooting as much recently. And then Monday he went out and had another relatively quiet game with one shot on goal. Well, he had four shots on goal Thursday night and, you know, not a coincidence that that's the game ends up getting his first goal. And it was, it was really probably should have been a really nice assist. Um, a, you know, just a really smooth pass to send in Brad Marsh and, uh, but Samsonov makes a good save on Marshand and DeBrusque to his credit, just kept driving and buried the rebound. And, um, you know, I know 
Montgomery said after the game, DeBrus said after the game, like that's that's how you got to score goals. They've been stressing this all season that you know this is going to have to be a team that scores grittier goals that gets to the net, goes to the front, and DeBrus does it there and and gets rewarded. Yeah, both of the Bruins' goals were off the rush, like really fast rushes too. Like that that one in particular was the faster of the two, but you see the transition and very quickly after the outlet and the transition through the neutral zone, the puck's in the back of the net. And in that case, DeBrusque did most of the work leading up to that goal, picks up the rebound and puts it in. So uh, that that was a lot of credit to him on the breakout and finding the rebound. And then on the other goal, the Zaka goal, it starts with a diving clear by Danton Heinen, who was playing some shifts on that, if you want to call it the top line with Zaka and Pasternak. And so he starts it from the back end, dives it, pushes it out of the zone. And then you end up where the puck comes in to the Bruins. Well, offense. That, that was, he was in the offensive zone that he, the dive was to poke it back yes sorry the dive the dive was i don't know why i call it a clear like just a diving pass um and it ends up with lori and then carlo and then zaka puts it in so it was just another nice play um and heinen whereas he kind of looked rusty and montgomery said so in the first game he didn't get a lot of ice time but in his ice time he was trusted to take some pretty important shifts yeah, he also set up what could have been the game-winning goal before it even got to a shootout. Um, made a really nice seam pass over to Pasternak that Pasternak one times off the crossbar. Uh, so, you know, definitely a strong game for Heinen. Does, doesn't get a point as, you know, would have been the third assist. But, um, yeah, and, and like you said, like still in fairly limited ice time. He was just over 10 minutes for the game. So it's not like he's getting, you know, a ton of opportunities, but um, did look pretty good. I thought, I thought that whole fourth line looks pretty good. Him, Beecher and Steen. And, you know, you, you wonder a little bit like with Lucic and Lauko out of the lineup, you know, can that, can that fourth line still be heavy enough? Like, can they, get in on the four check the same way that they were early in the season. And I thought this game in particular, you, you saw them do that. Like Beecher and Steen, especially I thought were physical and we know Heinen's not, you know, an overly physical player, but you, he was disrupting plays in the offensive zone. He forced a few turnovers. So uh, yeah, I think he's starting, starting to see him get up to speed and, and make more of an impact. Yeah, you could see that fourth line have two really strong like tone setting shifts in the first period where they came out after some like a say a shaky shift. I believe the Pasenak line had one shift where they were kind of hemmed in a little bit. And then you see the fourth line uh, get things going for checking strong and creating a turnover. So, yeah, as the game went on, though, they got played less because of the way that Toronto plays and they don't roll a fourth line that often so it was like matchup based they just ended up not with as much ice time as they would probably have in a normal game um and to the point about Dan Heinen as well in his second game he really is in the perfect situation I know they made him wait really long to sign that contract but the fact that Jim Montgomery coached him in college he tried and 
clearly in that time in college, he impressed Montgomery and created a lot of trust in him in Heinen. So you see Montgomery willing to play him as a defenseman last game when McAvoy and Grizzlick were out and in three on three overtime. Uh, and also with some shifts with Zaka and Pasternak today, he's getting played in situations that your normal fourth liner doesn't get played in. And it's especially impressive considering what the beginning part of the season was for Heinen, just um, trying to make his way onto the team. And then it, he's been able to, I guess, give Montgomery a little bit of everything uh, from what he could use him for. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife, throw him on the first line, throw him on the fourth line, apparently throw him on defense. and <laughs> He's trusted. Yeah. By the way, you touched on Toronto's fourth line. Notice who ended up on it for like the last, basically the second half of the game. Uh, that would be Tyler Bertuzzi, who has had a really rough start to his time in Toronto, only three points on the season and uh, got demoted to the fourth line tonight. And his coach, Sheldon Keefe, like just straight up called him out, like said, we had a simple game plan tonight and he wasn't executing it. And that, that first, the Bruins first goal if you watch the replay of that, he's the one who doesn't take away the passing lane from Carlo to Zaka. He's sort of just floating. It's like, he's the left wing. Carlo's the right defenseman. That's his guy. And he sort of just like hovers and lets Carlo move down the boards. And, you know, I, I know like we've touched on, we touched on it before, but the defensive side of his game is not his strong suit. And it, it costs the Leafs there. So, uh, you know, for look, I think Bertuzzi's a better player than he's been so far this season in Toronto. But you know, was interesting to note that you know, for all the all the people who thought he was going to be a huge loss for the Bruins, um, the way he's playing so far this year is not much of a loss at all. No, especially for the contracts, which would have made them have to do all sorts of cap gymnastics and get rid of more players that they you know. You probably would have had to trade a goalie or something to keep him. Like there was going to have to be a pretty decent sized move in order to create the cap space that you would need for him. He hasn't lived up to it. And the defensive side of his game was something that hurt the Bruins in the playoffs. I know I was probably a little bit more critical of him in the playoffs than you two were, but he had some bad turnovers and he just has a, I don't know. Sometimes he has tough reads on where players are, where do you have a stick? Obviously, he's a better player than three points, but you look at what the Bruins have, and they have James Van Riemsdyk with more points and more goals. They have uh, Matt Potter with more points and more goals. They have a lot of these people that you are, you have for so much cheaper that are contributing more than he has so far, and I just wonder how Toronto fans, because Toronto fans are not forgiving to, to most players, and even though Bertuzzi, I believe, is from pretty nearby to Toronto. He, I know he's from Canada. Um, it's kind of like playing for the hometown team. He might not be getting a hometown welcome if he continues the way that he does, because those fans are tough. Yeah. And it was interesting that we can, you know, listen in like the ESPN broadcast up in the press box and they were talking, talking about how like, you know, they started the season with them on the Matthews line. And uh, I think it was Ray Ferraro called it like a, square peg in a round hole situation. Like he just straight up didn't fit. Um, you know, that's the spot where Michael Bunting was the, you know, last season and 
was more of a fit. So now you look at like what Toronto's trying to do with their lines, and it's like Kelly Yarncroke's been on the first line, and they've had to move Matthew Nyes up, who's a really promising young player, but might not be ready for that role yet. So it's like that was the clear role carved out for Tyler Bertuzzi. And if he's, you know, if he can't fit there, then it's like, where, where does he really fit in that team? They're obviously trying to figure that out. Um, you know, we are not, we're not a Toronto podcast though. So I think that's, that's probably enough Bertuzzi for. Yeah. But that's, that's relevant though, because yeah, these are sure. like, what ifs that we talked about a lot in the off season, these were a big, what ifs well, or how do you keep them? And it was just a weird situation with this one year deal and, and, you know, your Don Sweetie, you kind of look smart right now uh, just for not biting, like taking the bait on a deal that you didn't think helped your team. So credit there. Uh, and I kind of want to transition because we don't usually talk about the defense as like a big part of our podcast because we there usually isn't as much to talk about as there is tonight. So it's usually just probably- like it's usually just like, wow, they were good again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's like, okay, now we're talking about the biggest. Except except when Brian just decides to hate on Hampus Lindholm. I was but thinking I of him. I was thinking of him a lot. I could hear his voice. Like it's like, it was over my shoulder as we were sitting. Cause me and Scott sit next to each other. And, and by the way, Scott loves that so much. I was singing one direction to him. Um, that's what makes you beautiful. And he was just like ignoring me completely. But it's like Brian sitting there with us because I can like hear his voice like, God, bad turnover by Lynn Holm. Like just like feel like he's he, his like mindset somehow has like crept into my own internal thought process. <laughs> but without going into what Brian's thoughts might have been, we'll we'll wait for him to come in. This is the biggest test the Bruins defense had the entire season. You call up three guys, one being Mason Laura, who has not played an NHL game. He had a great preseason, but this is his NHL debut, which is huge for him. Uh, Ian Mitchell being the player that had already been up, but had been waived, went down to Providence, come back. And then Parker Wotherspoon, who a lot of people were texting me the day before the game when he got called up. Who is this? Um, I thought played solidly. I, I would say that the Witherspoon Mitchell pair, the best way I could describe it was like adequate. And that's that's what they needed to be. They weren't special. They made some reads that weren't correct, but they also generate Ian Mitchell ge- does have a way of generating offense with his shot. Um, and I thought Witherspoon didn't look like a defensive liability. And I know those don't sound like really high marks for a for a D pair, but in the minutes that they had, they weren't a liability. And sometimes when you get you have to call up three defensemen. Somebody there is not ready for, you know, for, for that kind of task. Yeah, that they were, they were fine for what they had to do. They obviously didn't get a ton of, you know, Motherspoon and Mitchell are both under 14 minutes and that's about what you expect. Like that's, you know, you don't want to have to rely on those two for a whole, whole lot. And the Bruins really didn't have to, um, they clearly relied on on the top four. If you you know you look at their ice time, Lindholm ends up at twenty nine thirty one. Um, Carlo almost twenty three, Shattenkirk twenty two, and Lorai twenty one twenty eight in his NHL debut. And uh, you know Montgomery talked about basically just trusting Lorai. Like the more he played, the 
more he stacked good shifts on, on top of each other, the more he felt comfortable just rolling him out there. And, you know, down, down the stretch on the third period, it really did become like pretty close to just a, a four man rotation where uh, he put Lindholm and Carlo back together to match up against the Matthews line. He felt like the Matthews line had started to win its matchup a little bit too much. So decides to reunite the shutdown pairing. And then Laura and Shattenkirk ended up together after Laura obviously started the game with Carlo and thought Laura and Shattenkirk looked pretty good together too. Um, obviously, you know, got them at least away from Matthews, but that means they got a lot of Tavares and Nylander. So it's not like that's a whole lot easier. That's still a really good line. Um, but yeah, I mean, Laura was, was making things happen. They're throwing them out there, uh, throwing him out there for a lot of offensive zone faceoffs because it's like, yeah, in a, in a tie game, that's, he's one of your best bets to try to create an offensive chance. Like he already has that as, you know, 22 year old rookie making his debut. It's clear like what he can bring at that end of the ice. And I thought as the game went on, he, he got more and more comfortable at the other end of the ice too. Um, you know, you saw a good stick from him, uh, you know, breaking up chances in the D zone. He's got, there weren't a ton of penalties, which was actually great. It was nice to have a Bruins game. That wasn't a, a special teams fest for once because a lot of this game was played at five and five and it was really exciting hockey. Like it was, it was up and down lots of chances both ways. Um, but Lori did end up, he was second among Bruins defensemen in shorthanded time. And part of that is because one of the penalties was on Brandon Carlo. So he's your number one penalty killer and couldn't be out there for that, for that, uh, PK. Um, but yeah, there was like, there was one sequence where, Lori twice broke up chin, you know, one of the few times you noticed Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, Lori got a stick on Bertuzzi rebound chance that would have been just about a, a wide open net if, uh, if Lori hadn't gotten a stick in there. And then like seconds later, just straight up stole a puck from Bertuzzi and uh, cleared it, cleared it up to Marsh and that basically killed the end of the penalty. Lori is sneaky on offense. All of a sudden, he sneaks down, and, like, he had a point-blank chance in the crease. And I was like, who was that? Oh, what? that? When did he get down there? Like, all of a sudden, he was just there. He was at the side of the net a few times, and then in overtime, they have him on a shift with uh, Zaka and Pasternak, and he's just parked in front of the net. Like, he's letting Zaka and Pasta like, circle the top of the zone, and he's just, literally just parked himself there. It was like, interesting strategy. You don't want your, like – Pasternak isn't the most reliable defensive player to have your defenseman shift in that low. Uh, I was like, that's an interesting strategy, but you know what? It must have been part of it because he does. He's not. He's. It's his first game. He's not just going and parking in front of the net in a three-on-three overtime situation unless Montgomery said go do that. So I don't think that was just like an ad lib on his part. I think that that's what they wanted him to do. Yeah, for sure. It certainly seemed intentional because like as soon as they got into the zone, he he went right there. Um... And, and part of like obviously he's used to battling in front of the net in the D zone, so you figure he, you would think like those skills can translate. Um, you know, I I know I've seen at practice plenty of times where they do drills where there's net front battles, and you know the defenseman will be defending one 
time through and then like be on the offensive side of it the next time. And, you know, you sort of wonder like, what's the point of having Brandon Carlo, like be a net front guy on offense and a drill, but it's because it's like, it's all the same ideas. It's all, it's all still about positioning and, and um, you know, just winning those battles. So I'm sure Laura's skills translate and, you know, another thing that like really stands out in his game and, and plenty of people have said this is just his ability to make plays in small areas, like how good his hands are for, someone his size with, with that reach, like you don't see too many players like that who, you know, can make like a quick little deke to get inside a, a four checker and start a breakout. Like Matt Grizzly can do that. We've seen him do that, but that's because he, you know, he's not as lanky. He's not as rangy. Like there's not as much going on to try to coordinate, to make that kind of move. And Laura is just so smooth. And he had, he did a, couple times where it's like you know it would be kind of tight quarters and he would just get it make like a quick move and next thing you know it's he's going up ice or it's off his stick for a pass um you know you saw him have a couple couple nice stretch passes uh, in transition and again it's just that that confidence growing you know i asked him after the game like could you feel your confidence growing throughout the game and he said like yeah and it's like that's when you start to see him making more, more plays, but still smart plays, like not, not taking crazy risks or anything like that, but just realizing like he can play at this speed. He can play against this competition. He can do the things that he was doing in Providence or at Ohio state before that, that like, yeah, he's, he's good enough to still do those things at this level. And, and his teammates all have confidence in him to play that way. And one of the things that was talked about by Jim Montgomery, who first of all said that he belongs here and he told him, you know, you're an NHL player, go prove it to, you know, go prove it out there. Um, Montgomery was playing him be out of necessity partly, but it probably what was a more comfortable role for him, which is a top four defenseman role, like not just filling in with a few minutes, not getting into the flow of things. Uh, he was able to kind of play a normal style game for what he's used to at Ohio state where he was getting a lot of ice time and in Providence. And uh, that I think really freed him up to not get in his own head not worry too much shift by shift, like knowing he was going to get his ice time. And he, he did get into a rhythm. I thought he broke up some plays really well. Um, Just was like a stick check or picking off a pass. Um, I like the Lori Carlo pairing, but I also thought it was effective when they, when they took it apart and put them with Shattenkirk. So um, I think my main question here now is with these call-ups and with McAvoy, though he's appealing very rarely suspensions get changed. Um, So this was game one, three games left on his suspension. Grizzly on long-term IR, Forbert day-to-day, how sustainable is it to have say Forbert doesn't come back or, or maybe he comes back? Um, how sustainable is it to have these three defensemen in your lineup, have it hold up and you know, not notice as much that you have those key guys out in the lineup? I mean, it held up against the Leafs, and they have one of the most talented offenses in the league, even even though they 
haven't really been like Leafs are middle of the pack in scoring right now. So they haven't quite been playing like that, but we know what the talent level is. So, you know, Saturday will be another test. You know, Bruins just faced the Red Wings. We talked about how, especially offensively, they've been off to a great start. So that'll be another good test. Dallas is a really good team. Like, yeah, they're going to be tested. Um, They might get forward back. He's considered day-to-day. So uh possible he returns but um yeah i mean i guess i like i would say i'm still relatively confident in a top four of you know however you want to line it up lindholm shattenkirk lori and carlo like i don't i I think shattenkirk's been playing pretty well when he's gotten bumped up with you know better players i thought I'd mentioned on the last pod, like him and Lindholm together, even in, you know, a small amount of ice time had been good even before tonight. I thought they were solid to start. And then Shattenkirk with Lori as the game went on, I thought looked good. So I still think that's a fairly strong top four. And then, yeah, the third pair, like I would have questions if you have to go five games with a Wotherspoon Mitchell third pairing but you're probably not going to it might be one more game it might not be any more games like forward could be back the next game so um you know not that forward's like a huge difference maker i think you know i've been pretty clear and we've been pretty clear that like you know we're maybe not the biggest forward fans in the world but at least he's you know he's an established nhler and um can provide some, um, you know, solid play on that third pairing and obviously on, on the penalty kill. Yeah. And, and obviously people are probably thinking, what about Jacobs Borrell? But we believe that it's a cap situation that he has no. a higher. No, that they, they have plenty of cap space. I think he's just that far down the depth chart. If, if they had wanted him here over Parker Weatherspoon, he'd he'd be here. So I don't. Okay. It's not well, you know obviously that. not obviously not a great sign for where he is in in the Bruins' eyes right now. But um, you know I did I did see he had an assist I think Wednesday night in Providence's game. So I don't know maybe he's starting to turn a corner. But um, yeah, it seems like it's been not maybe not the best start for him down in Providence. And I guess that brings me to the next point, which is maybe if either Mitchell or Weatherspoon struggles, maybe he sees a at some point, depending on how long the overlap is of these three defensive injuries. Um, and not to be overlooked in why this could be sustainable, even though for a lot of teams, they don't have the depth to just to sustain that um, for say a four game or, or so stretch is because they don't have the kind of goaltending that the Bruins have. And Jeremy Swimman had another amazing game in net. Allmark has been great all season. That's why they don't have anything in the loss column this year yet. So Swayman, first of all, in shootout, Swayman just, like, you can tell just by his body language that he loves doing it. And he also has mentioned that he he's one of the goalies who just loves a shootout. Um, and he's going against and making a stop against Austin Matthews. Uh, so, and I believe uh, Nylander was the the first 
skater. Um, and so those are two guys that are very difficult to stop. He read it the whole way. Um, I wouldn't say it was luck. Sometimes it is with a, with a score like those two, but no, he, he had really great reads. He had some amazing saves earlier in the game and goaltending really fixes or uh, patches up some of the holes in a roster that might be struggling defensively. Not that the Bruins are struggling defensively, but they have more blemishes without McAvoy for sure. Yeah. The Toronto had a lot of shots. I thought for the most part, the Bruins did a decent job, at least taking away like the slot area, but they did still break through for a couple, like really point blank chances where it was just like pure reaction for Swayman. And, um, you know, the, the, the two goals against like, I don't know how much he could have done there. The, the first one, we didn't mention this while we were talking about Lori, but, uh, you know, Marner kind of steps inside Carlo and uh, his shot deflects off Lori's stick and goes in. It looked like it was probably actually going to go wide had it not gone off Lori's stick, um, which was a tough break for Lori because actually earlier that same exact shift, he sent Zaka in alone and could have could have made 3 nothing, but Samsonov made a good save on Zaka. Um, and then Toronto's second goal, which was only a minute three after the first, it's just an awesome shot by Matthews. Like, you know, virtually no time and space to get that off and just an absolute rocket of a release over swim shoulder right under the crossbar. Like, I don't know how much any goalie's really doing about that one. So no, it's kind of one of those shots where there's only such a small percentage of players that can get it off, which means that you're, you're probably not reading shoot necessarily, or at least not a shot like that in that situation as a defense or a goaltender. So um, that one, I don't fault him on either. And it was kind of a series of unfortunate events where um, like you mentioned, there was a chance on the other end with Laura and Zaka and then, you kind of get caught a little bit deeper than you want to there and um, have to try to fight your way back. So uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about as we record. This is very late at night because Scott and I stay at the game, go in the locker room, talk to the players, drive an hour back to where we live because we don't live that close and we're approaching 1 a.m. here. So, Well, we, we can do, we can do a couple of, quick ups and ups and downs but one other thing i did oh, want to mention from, from great the idea game, i already i forgot that because i'm very tired <laughs> um but one of the other, other thing i wanted to mention from the game is uh Pasternak was really physical and i think we've seen him be more physical this year in general um i just quickly wanted to check what he ended up with so he ended up with three hits i think they all came in like the first half of the game but uh had like a hard four check in morgan riley a couple others where it was noticeable that he was, you know, trying to finish checks and he now leads the team and hits on the season, which is obviously not a category you expect David Pasternak to lead, lead the team in. But, you know, when last year their hits leaders were Connor Clifton and Nick Foligno, who are obviously both gone, um, you know, McAvoy was the team leader, obviously was suspended this game. You would expect Lucic to be up there, but he's only played, four out of 10 games. So obviously, you know, he's not, um, but yeah, it was funny after the game, Martian, a couple guys were asked about Pasanak being more physical and Martian said, yeah, I think he's hanging out with Luch too much. So, um, but yeah, but it's, you know, Montgomery applauded Pasanak though for, you know, trying to set the tone and, and 
sort of lead by example. And the Bruins want to be a heavier, more physical team this year. And if, you know, it doesn't have to be three hits every game. It's not going to be from Pasternak. But, um, you know, if he's going in hard on the forecheck like other forwards are expected to and he's finishing checks when they're there, like that certainly helps kind of set that tone throughout the lineup. He had a big one too on Riley. Like it wasn't just like a, oh, we're credit. Cause sometimes hit is kind of a subjective stat that they track, but that was, that was a full blown, like heavy hit that he laid. And you're right. Uh, Montgomery said, I'd rather have him with the puck on a stick, but I like the way he was setting the tone. And obviously Marshawn with the sarcastic answers as, as he usually has. Um, so yeah, that's your up, I guess. Um, he's, he's, leading the team in many categories and oddly enough hits is one of them. So he is up. I will say somebody that we've been high on the entire season so far, who didn't have as good of a game uh, was Matt Patra. And he was playing on that top line at like, this is the immediate game after being uh, awarded, I guess you could say the chance to stay on the team for the rest of the season, not being sent back to juniors. And I think that there were some times I sensed frustration in his game, especially early on. And those were, those were shifts where he was on the line with, with Pasternak and Zaka. And I feel like his best shift of the night came when he was on the third line and it was in the third period. And they kind of had the Leafs hemmed in and were cycling. And by, I wouldn't say he had a bad game. It's just, we've seen him contribute more to, um, you know, the offense with his playmaking and, and different things. I felt that this was his, t- his toughest test yet as a rookie in the league. Playing the Leafs is not the same as playing the Sharks and the Ducks. And, you know, this was a test for him. And you you see him, you saw him struggle a little bit with board play, not coming out of the corners with pucks the way that sometimes he can, um, losing some battles. But Still, you know, I'm calling him a down for the day, but I don't mean that like I think it's going to be a trend. It's just a tough first test against a team like the Maple Leafs for him. And even so, I agree it was a little bit of a quieter game for him, but even still, I thought he had an absolutely dominant shift late in the third period. Uh, Obviously, the Bruins go on to win in a shootout, but they – really turned the heat on like the last I don't know, four minutes of regulation. Like it was, it was all in the leaf zone and it seemed like Toronto was just hanging on for dear life. And Patra was a big part of one of those shifts where he, as we've seen, like was just, it seemed like the puck just kept finding him and he collected and make a nice pass to someone. And then it'd come back over towards him and he'd win a battle and collect it again and do something good with it. And uh, had, almost like lost it for what could have been a rush the other way, but it managed to make a nice keep in at the line. Um, So even then it's like kind of what we've seen before from him where it's, he, he just never gives up and always seems to find a way to make a difference. Or in this case, you know, almost make a difference, almost win the game when it, when it matters. Um, He did have one second where I was like, Oh, he might like, he might score right here at like you mentioned at the very at the very end of the game. He he does just um find ways to bounce back and that's what you want to see from him. I only say he's a down just because we've been so high on him early in the season that it, it was just a little bit less. 
Yeah, he like he just seems to have a nose for like winning plays, I guess, or or um, just kind of the moment. Like he seems to, you can tell like he wants to be out there in those situations, and um, it's just gonna do anything he can to like find a way to make something happen. Uh, my down is an obvious one for the week, but Charlie McAvoy um, getting suspended and. As, as you mentioned, there were reports that broke tonight that he's appealing it. Uh, you know, very rarely do suspensions get reduced upon appeal. It'll be heard by Gary Bettman at some point over the next few days. If anything, it's it's only ever like one game that gets shaved off. So um, I'd say it's pretty safe to say you're going to be missing McAvoy for the next two games still. And most likely the next three. Um, I know there seems to be a little bit of confusion, at least on Twitter from what I saw, of people thinking like, oh, he's appealing so he can get back in there Saturday like while it's under appeal. and Not how it works. You, you still are suspended and you sit out until the appeal's mm-hmm. uh, finalized. So the, the NHL expedites the, the appeals to like make sure they – get to it before the suspension's over, I, I guess. So, um, but again, it's, I would be stunned if, first off, I'd be pretty surprised if anything gets taken off. I would be absolutely shocked if it's two games that gets taken off. So uh, I would, you're still going to be without McAvoy Saturday and Monday at least. So, mm-hmm. um, but as far as him being a down, it's like, the hit and the suspension, it, it's it's obvious, and it's it's just not what you want to see from from one of your team leaders. Like it was, it was so unnecessary, and it put the team in a really bad spot in that game, and now during a tough stretch in the schedule. Um, and you know, unfortunately for him, it now puts a label on him um, because it's the second time he's been suspended. I think. I think a lot of people will let one go and, and sort of forget about it and move on. But when it's, when it's the second one for an illegal check to the head, like other, other fan. And I know Bruins fans don't really care what other fan bases think. I, I get that. Right. Like everyone's called Brad Marsh and dirty for years and everyone in Boston still loves him. Um, so it's not going to change. And they told him that today, and the Toronto people thought that today too, because they thought he had a oh, slew yeah. foot. And I mean, the broadcast noted that they didn't think it was. Scott tweeted out that he didn't think it was. Um, but the bench and Reeves and and everybody sitting there gave him a hard time on the bench um, because they thought, oh, it's Marshawn. It's a dirty play. Yeah, I, so I, I initially thought they were claiming it was a slew foot, and the, the broadcast mentioned that maybe they they were upset that he got his stick in his skates in a dangerous spot. But he, either way, I I didn't see anything other than two guys just battling for the puck. And, and, you know, I was glad to hear that ESPN broadcast basically agree with that and say that they didn't see anything dirty. Like, it, it obviously, you know, the Leafs hate losing a defenseman so early in the game. And it sounds like it's a pretty serious injury for, for Lilligren. Unfortunately, uh, Sheldon Keith said after the game that it's um, looks like something long-term. So yeah, like that sucks. Like I, 
you know, you don't want to see anyone get hurt, but it just seemed like two guys going for the puck and an unfortunate end result. But uh, yeah, the, they were, they were going after Marchand and Sheldon Keefe himself was like yelling something at him. And again, Marchand in, in classic Marchand fashion after the game was asked about it and said, Oh, he's just saying hi. So um, obviously yeah. not, not what he was doing, but you know, my, Martian's Martian never is going to like share stuff that's said on the ice. So, um, you know, he kind of, no, because he doesn't want anyone to share what he says on the ice. He doesn't do it. There's a, there's, you know, there's a little bit of a give and take there. Um, I'll give my up as Jake DeBrusque, who I also started out with um, in my first uh, shift opening shift, because he showed his offensive skill set. I think he just had a solid game overall. Um, it's kind of an easy up to to look at. And then there were some people that were just in the middle today. I would say um, Trent Frederick probably throw him in the middle. But with a win against a team like Toronto, you're not looking at a lot of downs. I, I think you would agree with me. I don't know if there's anyone else that you would put in that category. No, I I mean I thought the that Frederick Geeky Van Reems like line, I thought it had a pretty really strong game. I mean when, when they were on the ice, the Bruins outshot the Leafs eleven to four. So um I'll agree with you that that specifically Van Reemsdyke had some interesting and, like plays that that he was set up and that looked really nice. Yeah, and according to natural statric, uh, high danger chances, seven, nothing when that line was on the ice so it's in favor of the Bruins. So, um, yeah, that was, that was really strong. My last up, I have to mention, we've, you know, kind of barely touched on him other than him scoring the goal, but Pavel Zaka, uh, had zero goals in the first five games this season now has four goals and six points in the last five. So, I know, you know, the, he was one of those guys that we and, and other people kind of talked about out of the gate, a little bit of a slow start offensively, you know, is he really going to produce like a first line center? And oddly enough, he's now been on the wing most of the last two games, although he still had, you know, certainly a couple shifts here and there as center, but just in general, whether he's been at center or wing has found his offensive game. I think we all, felt like his all around game was there. Like he was playing well and the points just weren't coming. Um, now they are, which, Hey, that's how hockey works. You play the right way. You keep doing the right things. And eventually the points follow. You see that with Zaka, you see DeBrusque on the board, uh, playing in a strong all around game. And now, um, you know, we touched on him earlier, but all that's left is Lindholm who you're still, you're still waiting on to get that first point of the season. Um, and that's lot... Brian. That that I just heard Brian right there yep. coming in. I mean, he, play, he played a lot of minutes Thursday. I would yeah. say a, a little bit of a mixed bag. I didn't. I thought he had some really great shifts and some other shifts that were a little bit rough. Uh, he did have, you know, a couple couple breakout passes picked off. So still wasn't wasn't the best game for him, but just the fact for just taking on that many minutes is impressive. Um, and the I, Bruins and obviously I, need him too. I know that he is very in shape. So I'm not saying this is a conditioning thing, but I was worried that 
you wear out a defenseman that gets that many minutes. I think that he, you know, I don't think that his conditioning is bad or anything, but it was just a lot to ask. And it was, it felt like he was getting double shifted at times. Like he was, he was out there so much that I'm thinking at some point, does this cause a lapse or does this cause like one play that he's at the end of a long shift that he just doesn't have as much juice as he normally would at the end of a long shift because of all of these minutes. So I was a little bit concerned about that. And as the time goes on that McAvoy is out and that Grizzly is out, I just wonder if there's a compounding effect of eating that much time um, because the bottom pairing isn't going to see that much time. So just something to keep an eye on and that I had in my view for today's game. And then um, to talk about Zaka, because I didn't get to respond to your last point, I Marshawn brought this up and it just shows you how much the team has changed, but also the results have stayed the same that the Bruins have three new centers this season because Zaka wasn't playing center most of last year. So that's, that's one Um, Potter and Beecher who had not played at all for the Bruins in center. And then the one remaining, you know, guy that sticks in the middle is Charlie Coyle, but he's in a different role. So you see just how the Bruins have adapted this season. And also he mentioned Shattenkirk as a defenseman that, Still, he basically said we had four new defensemen playing the system tonight because Shattenkirk, this is the 10th game with the Bruins, but he's still learning the system. And he's obviously a veteran player and he's handled it very well. But technically, in, in you know the team's eyes, he's also a guy who's had to step in and build chemistry and um, just find ways to help the team win. So really almost like tonight they were playing with four defensemen that weren't that that weren't on the team last year and three centers who like with Zaka playing a different role and and two young guys, like that's a lot of change and they handled it perfectly fine against the team. That's the top team in their division and that they're fighting for that. Probably that top seed would come the, you know, right around the postseason. Yeah. And even when, even when Zaka bumps over to wing, it's, geeky who slides over to center so it's still a new center um by the way 900th career game for kevin shattenkirk tonight so um you know pretty good accomplishment there um and on on your last point like i think everyone i think at this point it's everyone has to look at and say the bruins are the top team in the division which is you know i'm sure everyone else in the division thought the door was wide open there with all the turnover and Yes, it's still early, but nine zero and one through ten games is is pretty hard to argue with. And now they're you know now they're getting wins against tougher. We talked about their easy schedule early on. Okay, well now you've got wins over Florida and Toronto. So um, you know Detroit last week. Like now you're now you're beating those teams that you're competing with for playoff positioning in the in the division. So now we can start to sort of put that early season schedule behind and look at what they're doing right now. And yes, a couple of them have required overtime or, or a shootout, but you know, look, you, you just beat Toronto down three regular defensemen. And I thought while it was a pretty evenly played game, I did think the Bruins were the better team. Like there was, there was nothing fluky about that. Um, 
when push came to shove, like they, you know, they were the ones who kind of took control of the game down a stretch. It felt like if, if it was going to end in regulation, it was going to be the Bruins win. They were the ones who had way more jump down the stretch. So uh, yeah, like it's, it, it's time to start talking about them as the best team in the division again. Like, I think we can, I think we can do, do that at this point. Yeah. And they're, they're a third period team. They get better as the game goes on, which is something they had last year as well. Um, so they have that, the ability to come back in games that they're losing and they have the ability to stave off the other team and, and sometimes extend their own lead um, as time winds down. So that helps a lot. Um, and that's a big credit to goaltending yeah. and defense. Other than that, that one game against Anaheim, but you know, which no, was the no, one no game to, that I, yeah. which that was the one game I wasn't at. So just that. Oh, well, there you go. So. <laughs> just, that was my game. I was doing a broadcast, and yes, so I watched it after, but it wasn't the same as being there and like watching that play out in front of you. Um, the frustration. So, so now we now we know the the next home game Bridget misses. Everyone, be be prepared for disaster. That's right. You, you guys need me there. I'm so I got I bring so much to that to the ninth floor vibe. And by that I mean just like taking pictures of Scott, taking pictures of popcorn and singing and <laughs> just being a nuisance. I, I I got I got my photo in tonight without before you get your phone out. I gotta I gotta be strategic. Yeah, but I still get a picture of you. It's cute. You wanna see it? No, no, we're good. Okay, time to end the podcast. Goodbye, everyone. I'm the one with control. Bye, everyone. See It's cute. Look at it. <laughs> All right, I'm tired. So, yes, let's do it. Let's let's call it here. I think we're good. Uh, it's one in the morning. We will talk to you guys soon. Bruins hit the road. They play Detroit uh, Saturday. Yes. And then they play Dallas, which is a big test. And they come back home. So anyway, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you soon.